What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Today's episode features the one, the only, Mr. Dan Picard. Uh, we cover his journey into hunting, media production, parenting, and uh, and a bear charging. Before that, a few quick updates. Uh, please take a quick second to leave a rating and review for the show. Wherever you get the podcast, it does indeed mean the world to me and does help to spread the message of the show. I can't talk today. Um, but it does it does help. It means a lot to me. It gives me the warm and fuzzies and, uh, and does spread the... Uh, the message and goal of the show uh, along the same lines too uh if you're needing some new sweatshirts some lightweight hoodies long sleeve shirts whatever the case may be we've got designs for you on the shop uh hit up vanguardstories.com and uh rep the show tag me on the instagrams Finally, today's episode is brought to you by Eberly Stock. Uh, I do indeed uh, also spend my fair share of time uh, outside camping, hiking, snowshoeing, whatever the case may be, all of the fun things. And uh, one thing that I, I honestly, I can't live without, and that's a, that's my Bruno hoodie. Uh, they're a lightweight, stretchy fabric that makes for a perfect layer over a t-shirt to help wick the sweat away. It gives you just a little bit of that extra warmth when you're out pushing yourself. And uh, it's sweet too, because they come in a variety of uh, Eberly Stock's camo patterns, as well as a few solid which is great for everything from hunting, hiking, all the stuff outside. I wear mine to the gym occasionally as well. And uh, honestly, they've got me wearing camo in public. So I'm definitely that guy, but they're so damn comfortable. So be sure to uh, call Tucker at the retail store, get squared away, let him know the Vanguard project sent you. And uh, yeah, I think that sums it up. So let's, let's roll. This was a fun, this was a fun episode. I enjoyed talking to Dan. So uh, let's, let's hit it. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I think I've had a little bit of a little bit too much coffee today. I'm, I'm feeling a little jittery, excited. But for those of you new to the show, uh, we sit down with people, we share their stories, get to know them a little bit to. Uh, really share what they've learned, understand kind of what makes them tick, share some lessons learned, hopefully get you guys excited about something new to uh, maybe give you uh, some new tools in the toolbox to get after something. So with that being said, cheesy intro out of the way, I've got Mr. Dan Picard on the phone. Dan, I'm excited. Um, I know that you and I connected really briefly. Um, I think it was at the Total Archery Challenge or I was at the Total Archery Challenge and Scott uh, introduced us, got us connected over email. And, uh, I think, you know, we kind of postponed it because I know that you are a super busy dude when it comes to, uh, season or the hunting season. So I, uh, I kind of waited to bug you until, uh, I think everything had closed. So I'm excited and, uh, I appreciate you hopping on with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to get on and see where these conversations are going to go. It seems like you know, I've done six, seven, eight or nine or so, and they always go a different direction. So that's always fun. Yeah, that's good. Well, I hope maybe we can take a different direction. Keep it, keep it fresh for you. Absolutely. But uh, for people who might not know you, do you mind just giving a, uh, an introduction of who you are? And then uh, I'll just politely interrupt along the way. Yep. You bet. Uh, my name is Dan Picard. I work for Eastman's hunting journals and bow hunting journals, and I do uh, a lot of everything here at the company, kind of a little bit of everything. And you'll probably see me on the TV show, YouTube videos, gear reviews, uh, articles in the magazine. Uh, it's all a lot of fun. It's a great variety and, uh, it, it never gets old. So, uh, yeah, I wish I had a, a job title. I could tell you what I do, but 
it's kind of jack of all trades. You're the catch all. Yep, exactly. That's awesome, man. So did you grow up in the, in the hunting space at all, the outdoor space, or was that something that you developed over time? Yeah, I was really fortunate to grow up in Northwest Montana and live out in the country. Uh, we had 10 acres and we bordered the forest service, uh, indefinite amounts of, uh, national forest land to play on and hunt on. So I was really lucky. Uh, when I was young, I think I caught my first fish when I was two and shot my first squirrel when I was five. So that's, that's when it started for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty, that's funny. So growing up in the outdoor kind of space, did you have, I guess, this sense of, you know, wanting to do what you're doing now, or did you kind of grow up and think, Oh, I'm going to be an astronaut or a firefighter. I mean, did you have a a path that you wanted to go down growing up? Yeah. It's funny you say that. I always loved to video or hunts and all the family stuff that we used to do as a kid. I, I was just obsessed with filming everything we did from gopher hunting to squirrels and antelope hunting and everything at growing up. But I never really looked at it in the way that I would be lucky enough to have a job doing that. And so I didn't really dream in that regard okay. uh, that I was going to be a you know professional hunter or whatever. My my goal when I was a kid, I was going to be a game warden that, that that was going to be my avenue to work in the outdoor world and be outside every day. You know, of course I didn't really know what it all entailed when I was in middle school. Sure. But, uh, as, as I went into college and I kind of found out I job shadowed and I was like, ah, maybe game warden isn't right for me (laughs) cause, (laughs) cause it turns out you don't really get a hunt very much. If you're a game warden at, right. or at, at all, you're, it's your busy time of year and you're not hunting during that time of year. You're too busy with work. So that ultimately probably was what shied me away from it. Yeah. Fair. Okay. So I'm thinking about something. So you said that you had enjoyed, you know, doing the the videoing of, of all of your hunts, whether that's, you know, going with the family, ground squirrels, whatever the case may be, you know, as a kid, you know, I think that everybody has that, that fascination with capturing everything, right? Like I know that when I was in high school, I was very interested in doing all of the commercial editing for our school news, right? How, how did you kind of foster that? Right. And I'm asking so that if there's a kid listening, that's like, Oh man, like I love doing that same thing. And, you know, I've heard of Dan and, you know, how did you think about maybe transforming that into something of, of production value? Did that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Back then, you had to do kind of your own digging and your own research. There wasn't YouTube, you know, when we were kids. And so it was way harder to learn on your own. So I I would talk to people. Uh, I I think I, I remember even buying some VHS tapes on video editing. I just, (laughs) I looked for resources, you know, and probably when I started getting into it or I was old enough to understand video editing, it was probably late nineties. And so the internet was a thing. And so like forums and stuff, I could get on forums and, and learn uh, about it and then download e- editing programs or, yeah. or buy them or like, I don't even remember what I used back then. And then just play on them until you figured it out. But there, there really wasn't a lot for tutorials or YouTube back then. You could buy some books and stuff, but uh, yeah, I just kind of fiddled with it until I figured it out. And it, you know, just like anything, it started out very basic, which you got to start somewhere. Right. And 
it kind of developed from there. And then in high school, uh, I did some, some media stuff. I I think I did a a video editing class, but when I ended up in college, media arts was a minor. So yeah, that's where I, I really dug into it more and got actual professional training on, you know, final cut and premiere pro and all that stuff to really take my stuff to the next level. Because before that, as a kid, I mean, you're basically slapping clips together and putting music over it. And, <laughs> and, and that was about it. And putting some titles in was fancy. <laughs> right. Right. And you're like the cool kid on the block. Cause you know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So did you continue doing all the, the video uh, stuff and editing and kind of combo or a compilation of things through you said middle school high school and then into college or was there kind of a a stop gap in between no no uh, there there wasn't any stop gaps i mean probably in high school is where i really took off with it and the resource was there and i had my own computer finally i mean back then a desktop computer was 1500 bucks a laptop was 2000 you know yep it was really expensive so i didn't have a lot of that resource until I was in high school, I would say. Okay. Okay. And as you're working through, you know, kind of, I guess, did you have, um, how do I say this kind of like a theme that you're trying to go for? I mean, were you, were you solely dedicated to capturing your guys' hunts or were you kind of expanding out into, I guess, other genres? Um, outdoors in general, in high school, I had a buddy and it's funny. He, and he films for me now he's more reserved and laid back and, he won't really go out and hunt much by himself, but he would follow me around. And, you know, if I was hunting, he would go hunting with me. And it kind of turned into, if I was hunting, he would bring the camera and I'd say, Hey, Tim, film this, or let's do this. And we filmed everything from fly fishing. I did a lot of fishing videos uh, to, you know, squirrel hunting and then all the hunting stuff beyond and a lot of waterfowl. I, that was a big transition Okay. From high school into college, I was a waterfowl nut back in the day. <laughs> and so we did a lot of ducks and geese and Tim just filmed because it was entertaining and he'd come along and do this stuff. And, and he didn't really have to do anything, but just point the camera and watch me be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that That's fun though, right? It's just oh. kind of wandering out and taking pictures and you're like, man, this is going to be goofy. It's crap. Uh, oh talking. yeah. And I was always doing crazy stuff. And I think he got as much entertaining or entertainment out of it as anyone would for just like watching me do dumb stuff. But the cool thing was, is, you know, we caught a ton of fish and we killed a lot of birds and videoed a lot of cool action. And I still look, back at some of this old footage that I took 15 years ago. And I was like, man, that was a good memory. That was a lot of fun. I'm so glad I captured that on video. And I, I don't think too much about it like that with waterfowl anymore. I'm, I'm so into bow hunting now and I, I still love waterfowl, but it's definitely on the back burner, Yeah, but it, it's cool to have those memories from 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So one question that I enjoy asking people, especially when they're doing stuff like this, right. Where they're obviously working on something, you know, taking video and editing it right. Um, while doing something that they love, you know, sometimes it gets difficult to continue doing what you love because the effort that goes into it then becomes work. Right. What, uh, kind of kept, what were, what was the big motivating factor for you and what did you enjoy most kind of throughout that early time of taking the and editing the videos? Probably, man, that's a good question. 
other than just being infatuated with capturing those memories. And I was, I'm a very, uh, what's, I don't even know what the right word is, but I, I get very intense and I'm very expressive and I, I just, I love action and I love doing this stuff. And I was like, man, if I can just capture it on video, I'll have these memories forever and I can share them with my family. And that was the big thing growing up is capturing all these videos for my mom. Okay. Because like, you know, memories for her and she's like, well, make sure you take a lot of video and picture. So, you know, (laughs) you know how moms are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it initially started just for family memories. Uh, is, is how that all started. And I would say too, growing up, we watched a lot of hunting videos. Okay. And I think like some of the first stuff that we watched were like the monster buck series, the real tree stuff Yep. Uh, with uh, Jeff Foxworthy and T-Bone and <laughs> all those guys. And so they're out there having fun. And that kind of inspired me too to go out there and just have fun and film hunting. And it was a lot of fun. They were doing it. I was watching it and I, I wanted to do it too. Yeah. So did you draw like, so obviously you drew a lot of inspiration from them. Were you, and this is kind of a fun question because like, again, kind of coming from the perspective of, Hey, if there's a a kid out there that's listening or a guy out there that's listening that wants to go do this, right. Were you trying to emulate Jeff Foxworthy and those guys, or were you like, okay, cool. They're doing this, but I can do it better with my own flair. Yes, absolutely. I still, I didn't, I wouldn't say tried to copy them. Uh, there were a couple like one liners that I still remembered that I would copy The One was, <laughs> do you remember the T-bone? I don't uh, per- no, persona? I don't think I ever watched it. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he had all these, these crazy teeth he put in and it's that Travis Turner guy. And, and, uh, he says, Jeff, what part of the deer do the fish sticks come from? Cause he's all about eating fish sticks. <laughs> and, and so just like funny one liners like that. But other than that, I mean, I was all, I did my own thing and we, I just made, you know, who I was and just put a little twist on it and, and, uh, went with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As you're like putting your twist on it, did you, how did you go about kind of figuring out your persona? Right. Because kind of in the early stages, right. You're still growing up, right. Especially through middle school, obviously high school, college, right. You're growing up. I mean, when you watch these videos, are you watching kind of yourself grow up throughout that and your, your persona change? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of that stuff. I look back when I was a kid, when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, I was like, now I look back at it. And I'm like, man, I was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think it's just a maturity thing. It's like reading old emails or text messages or uh, what is it? MSN instant yeah. messenger. You're like, yes. oh, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what it was. It's just a maturity thing. I think. So as I grew up and, you know, matured a little bit and I was still very expressive and hooping and hollering out, shooting ducks and watching them fall <laughs> out of the sky. But, but uh, yeah, definitely changes with maturity. I'd say. Yeah. That's funny. So when you got to college, um, were you, you said that your digital, it was digital media was um, a minor, right? Yep. What were you, what were you focused on studying and were you hoping to turn this, I guess this filmography into a career at that time. Okay. This is going to shock you. Okay. My major was political science. Really? Yes. Okay. Interesting. And once again, once I got into the professional career or not, I wouldn't say professional area of videography, but I still was like, well, I'll, I'll never 
you know, be a professional hunter. I'll never do it professionally. I just never saw myself that way, I guess. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I first did wildlife management and then I changed my major and did political science. And I was like, well, I don't really know what I want to do with my life, but I'll do political science. And my backup plan is basically to be a, you know, a high school government teacher or whatever. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really think into it that much, but honestly, my mentality was I can get a four-year degree and that'll tell employers that I'm trainable, right? Like that's, right. I have my BA, I'm good to go. That was kind of my mentality. And so I did that. And I, in looking back, I probably should have done a, a bachelor's in media arts, but I did it as a minor and, uh, still did enough work in that. But as soon as I got out of college, I was kind of like, okay, now what, you know, and you hear that all the time. Like <laughs> yeah. pe people are like, Oh, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And honestly, if you work hard and you're true to yourself and you treat people the way you want to be treated, you will find your fit. You'll, you'll, you'll end up in a place that suits you, that meets your needs and is something that, uh, is meant for you to do. And I, yeah. I true, I truly believe that like the whole cliche of like, Oh, you just got to follow your heart, but it's, it's kind of true. And, so I graduated college and I was like, okay, what do I really love? I was like, well, hunting, how can I get paid to go hunting? Right. And so I talked to a couple of out outfitters and one guy gave me a, a, a shot and I, I started, I was an elk hunting guide. Nice. Okay. So I started out as a guide out West, uh, down by Bozeman, Montana and paradise Valley. And that kind of was my start into the industry, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And my guiding years, I guided pretty hard for three, four years. And those years, I really accelerated my skill set when it came to hunting elk and deer. Okay. Uh, one year, I think I, with clients, I had, I was on 12 elk kills. Wow. And so being, and it's just like with anything, the more you do it, the better you get, right. The more you understand the animal, the more you understand the movement and what you need to do. And it gives you confidence for the next hunt. And so yeah. that, that just compounds. And I would say that was huge in my development as a hunter is all that repetition of hunting elk and harvesting elk, uh, rifle and bow hunts. And it really gave me that platform to take my skill set to the next level. Right. And so I would say kind of going back to what you're asking, that was my mindset. What can I do to work in a field and get paid in a, in a field of something that I love and that's hunting. And so that was a guide. Okay. Right. So that's a, that's a good point. And that's, it's fun because I hear that frequently, right. Is, is you need to go find something, obviously something that you love and you will get paid to do it. Right. If you work hard at it, but something that, that I know some people, myself and get included, get hung up on, right. Is taking the leap into it. Right. Because that's, and this is kind of my perception thing or perception, right. Is, is that's a risk, right. Is, is jumping into the unknown, right. Okay. I studied, 
you know, in my case, right, I studied economics, right? So, you know, I can go down this business route, but if I wanted to take a leap into something else, right, that's a whole other unknown that I have that I that I don't know how to quantify to go do, right? Yep. So I think a question to you is, is how did you say, hey, you know, I have this degree in, you know, political science, I could go be a high school government teacher, but forget that I want to go do this other thing. How did you navigate that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say as a kid, I was the type of kid that I was a daredevil. I, f- I fly by the seat of my pants. I, I don't think like that. In contrast, my brother, he's, he was the opposite of me. He's a yeah. very calculated thinker. He's an engineer now. A yeah, very calculated thinker, a very safe uh, risk taker. Or, or for lack thereof, he, he didn't take hers. Yes. Yes. And so I was the opposite. And so I would say it was my personality. So I didn't even think twice about it as far as taking a risk or, or going into a field that had nothing to do with my degree. I, I, I didn't think twice about it, but that's my personality. And so everybody's going to be a little bit different, but I will say, I'm so glad that the risks that I have taken, I, I I've done what I've done because they've paid off, but there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Cause if you're, you're you know, if you're just completely uncalculated, you don't have a head on your shoulders, you're going to get yourself in trouble and fail in it. And probably what really helped me with that was my dad growing up. He was hard on me, but I needed that. Yeah. I, I needed to get my butt whipped sometimes because I was, I was too careless. I was too, you know, I was that kid that, I would use one of my dad's tools and then leave it out in the dirt, you know, out, out in the rain. <laughs> like one of those kids that you know, my, the dad is always pulling their hair out, dealing with those kind of shenanigans. Right. <laughs> and so, and so he, he didn't beat it out of me by any means, but I got chewed out a lot and I got grounded and I, I needed some of that. I needed that. I needed somebody to be hard on, on me. And I think that's what really, helped me get my crap together as a kid. And, you know, I, I didn't want to disappoint my dad. That was a big thing, especially in school. So I didn't want to disappoint him. I, to get anything lower than a B that was kind of frowned upon. So always A's and B's in school. And I did not want to disappoint him because I respected him. Okay. And so that kind of shaped me into adulthood to really wise up on making my decisions. And so I, I, not like completely uncalculated decision maker, but I, I don't worry about the risk if it's calculated. I, I believe in myself. I believe that I have the skill set, or as, as, and I've always thought that. And I was taught this too, that if I work hard and treat people the way I want to be treated, I can do anything. And that, and that's what my dad always taught me. And so I just believed in that. Okay. So it, you're talking about um, taking, being calculated, and taking those, uh, taking those risks. When you, in your way of doing it, right? Because I know, kind of thinking about your brother, myself, and what you just described, right? Like the way I calculate risk is going to be down to like, like the finest piece of grain, like salt, right? Like it's annoying, you know. Like my wife, I drive her nuts. When you make these decisions, how, what is the thought process that you go through to make a, a risk-based decision? Well, 
I would say totally loaded question. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of different ways to take that, but just with experience. And as I've gotten older, you, you gain more experience. And so you just have, you just feel it out, I guess. And so I don't have a specific system that I weigh my options and I'm not like a huge risk taker. I mean, it, it took me forever to start investing in the stock market, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I would say if I take a risk, I do it because I have past experience and I, I have an idea that like, yeah, I can be successful at this or yes, I can do this. And even nowadays, if I want to do something or if I'm about to make a decision that might be risky, yeah, I can, I can go on YouTube and look up a video <laughs> and so learn true. how, yeah. And, and learn how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and here, here's one for you. I, I've always wanted to restore a classic car and I'm, I'm semi-mechanical, yeah. but I mean, I don't know anything about body and paint. I, I, I mean, I don't know how to weld. I never really did much of that, but guess what? I learned on YouTube. I learned how to rebuild a small block Mopar engine on YouTube. And I went downtown to a body shop and started asking questions. And the guy was nice enough and he kind of took me under his wing. And so if you ask these days, if you ask people and if you're willing to put forth the work and you show that, I think it's easy to succeed if you have that confidence, but you have to be willing to put the work in. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Have you finished? Did you finish your, uh, your Mopar engine? Is it all uh, done? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I finished the car as a 71 Plymouth duster. I put a 360 in it. I pulled a uh, 360 out of a van out of the junkyard and rebuilt it and slapped it in there. Nice. And, uh, I did all the body work and painted it gold with a white stri- stripe and a white vinyl top. I mean, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sweet. I would like to do a, a, a classic car. My dad got a, um, and now I'm not going to remember it's a, is it a C10? I think it's a Chevy C10 that he's had in his garage for a little while now. And, uh, he, I helped him strip the whole engine apart and he was getting it all cleaned up and everything. And he took it in and, uh, yeah, I, I want to help him finish that. Cause like, I love, I don't know anything about trucks and cars. Like I've, I have, I have at least one horror story that had I known a little bit, I might've been able to save myself except for the bad juju on the mountain. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I, I would love to do a classic car too. So I'm jealous. That's awesome. Yeah, no. And, and I was, it was timing too. I was lucky because I mean, with, with a family, to spend the time that I did in research and learning how to do all this stuff. It's like, it's almost impossible. I'm married now and I have a one-year-old kid. So looking back, it's like, man, I'm glad I did that when I was single because I had all the time in the world Yep, and that's what it takes. But like now looking back, it's like, man, I don't know if I could have done it, but <laughs> j- just like anything, if you want something bad enough, there's nothing in this world you can't do. If, if you want it bad enough and you put forth the effort to get educated or find out how, how to do it on YouTube. And um, obviously you got to have a supportive wife, but um, yeah, there's, I just don't think there's anything in this world, in this country that you or me can't do if yeah. we want to do it. I mean, the resources out there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. So you started guiding. Um, how long did you, how long were you a guide for? I don't think I know that. Yeah. Three or four years. Okay. Yeah. So, Oh, go ahead. No, three or four years. And uh, it was, it's kind of funny. Cause I look back and, and you're going to ask me how I got my job with Eastman's I'm guessing. Eventually. Yeah. We'll yeah. Get- we'll, yeah. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's just funny how it all panned out and whether you want to call it luck, whether you want to call it 
a God thing in which I I'm a believer. And I, I think that was something to do with it. And I truly, whether you, you want to call it karma, if you live your life, right. And you treat other people the way you want to be treated, doors are going to open. And, and so, yeah, I guided for three years and after the first year or two, I had return clients and we hunt together every year and kind of just expanded. And I would, I guided for a couple different outfitters and, uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. A, a great time in my life, a transition period in my life. But once again, I learned so much about hunting and sealing the deal on elk and deer, which really prepared me to do the job that I do today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. So I think before, I think I was telling you before I hit record that I'm kind of a rookie when it comes to hunting and and I know what guiding is and kind of generally how it works, but in order to become a guide, it's pretty intensive, isn't it? Um, no, I'm not really. I mean, there's a guide license that you have to get and you got to take a test and it's not that big of a deal. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to put forth the effort, it's, it's not hard to get a guide license. Um, you know, if you got to have experience and stuff and it it was kind of a easy for me because I lived my whole life hunting and fishing. And so I met all the qualifications pretty easily, but for somebody, if, if you don't have a lot of hunting experience, I mean, it, it might be a little more difficult because they do look at that on your application. You have to have X amount of years hunting and, you know, take the test and everything. So sure. Sure. Yeah. And I imagine if you're new to hunting, uh, you probably don't want to be a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, you probably <laughs> don't know what the heck is going on. <laughs> right. Right. You got to get a little experience under your belt first. And, and I was lucky, like I said, growing up, uh, man, back in the day, me and my dad and my brother, we'd get three antelope tags a year. I mean, we hunted a lot. Yeah. We hunted, we hunted a lot and we'd, we'd get three antelope tags a year, a piece, each get a buck tag and two doe tags. I mean, that back in the good old days and we'd come home with nine antelope every year. We did that for a few, a few <laughs> so years. Much food. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So much food. And, and so we just hunted a ton growing up. So that's really what prepared me. I would say to, to get going and, and really get off my feet. My dad, he was never an elk hunter. We shot cow elk and stuff, but never really killed bull elk as a kid or anything like that. So that was probably my Achilles heel when I was a kid. And it took me five years to kill an elk with my bow. Yeah. You know, learning my, on my own as a kid. So, well, so my, my buddy is, uh, he loves bow hunting. Right. And so he got an early season buck tag and, uh, we were out and he was kind of teaching me stuff here and there. And it's just nuts to me. Like one, how smart the animals are. Right. And, like how much thought actually goes into a successful stock. But then on top of that, last year I went elk hunting for the first time with my buddies and they were kind of, you know, teaching me all about like elk habits and stuff like that. The country the elk live in and how intelligent and how like attuned they are to their like environment blows my mind. It's like, I don't understand how you can get within 30 yards of an elk without scaring them half to death. You know, it just it, <laughs> like you guys are remarkable at it, you know? Yep. Yep. No, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause back in the day when I first started, I think everybody kind of starts with the same mentality and you progress as the years go by and the more you do it. Right. I mean, the, just the more you do it, the better you get. But I, I thought when I first started bow hunting elk that they were, they were unkillable. 
Like, especially, yeah. especially a bull. I was like, this is really hard. And growing up in Northwest Montana, there's not a lot of elk to begin with and it's really thick country. And so it's hard to get close to them. And so I, I know exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I was on my way. So I live just outside of Boise in Idaho. Right. And, uh, I was headed up to Stanley last or uh, this last weekend and on my way up, I drove by, I don't know, probably 20 cows. And I was like, man, if only it was in season and I had a bow, I could actually kill <laughs> one of you guys. But <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. But anyway, so we'll get to the question. So how did you, you said it was a, a God thing, a karma thing, however it might be, you ended up working for Eastman's. How did that, how did that pan out? Yeah. Yeah. So as I was guiding more and more and I was guiding for other outfitters, uh, I was out by Norris, which is West of Bozeman, Montana. And I was guiding out there for a couple weeks and there was a, another guy that was guiding and he was a fill-in guy for just a week. And it happened to be Jordan Brashears, which he had already started doing some writing for Eastman's. And so, you know, we hunted together that week and hit it off. And he's like, at the end of the week, he was like, man, you know what? He's like, guy and I, they said that, you know, if I could find a camera guy next year, they would, you know, start let me do some bow hunting for the show. And I just got to find a camera guy. And I just, I really feel that you'd be perfect fit for this. Nice. And I was like, heck yeah. Count me in dude. Absolutely. And you know, me and Jordan hit it off. He's a, he's a great dude, great dude to hunt with good hunter. And, uh, that's kind of how it all started. And so the next year, I think that summer I, I ran a, a lawn care business for my buddy and that next fall, we, we hunted basically September, October, and part of November, a lot of days in the field, a lot of days. Yeah. I, I was single at the time as well. So, so you could get away with it. Oh yeah. I, I hunted so many days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we got six kills on video and a bunch of episodes for Eastman's hunting TV. And that year I drew a Wyoming tag and I killed a 200 inch buck with my bow. Nice. And I, that probably impressed the boys a little bit that I, <laughs> they could get up on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That okay, they're like, okay. And then after the season and we got all those kills on video and made those shows and stuff, they're like, okay, this, this kid's the real deal. And I called me and he was like, Hey, you want a job and come down here and work out of the office full time. And I was like, yep, I'll be down. Just tell me when to, to be down there. I'll be down there. So it, it was literally that. And so I would say, networking and, and just the right place, right time and knowing Jordan. And he was already doing some, some work for Eastman's. So, and at the time too, uh, Eastman's were basically in the, in the search for somebody that was specializing in, in the archery and the bow hunting stuff. Sure. And, and so that's obviously plays a role in the timing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's awesome. Yeah. Right place, right time. And once again, I, I never, as a kid was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to work for Eastman's one day. And, you know, I always, I grew up watching Gordon stuff and guy and I cunning. And I, I watched all that stuff growing up, but I, I never was like, Oh, I'm going to work for them because I was like, there's nothing special about me. Why am I going to get a job with them? Or why would I ever, you know, be able to do that? But yeah, I mean, you don't have to think you're special. It's, it's a work ethic. If, if you want to work hard at something, I, like I said before, I truly believe, believe you can do anything that you want to do. Yeah. So I feel like I'm going to ask this question, but I feel like I probably already know the answer. So given 
kind of what you just described, what would you say has been the most beneficial thing for you kind of throughout your life, whether that's, you know, or the thing that's helped propelled you for, whether that's work ethic, right place, right time, karma, whatever you want to call it, you know, the God thing, kind of like you referred to it. What would you say has helped propel you and push you forward? My dad. Yeah. He's probably the number one thing that helped me develop into a mature person as a teenager. And he gave me that confidence yet. He was hard on me. And I still think back, I'm like, man, I hope I can be as good a dad as my dad was to my son, who's one years old. But I I think truly just the the parenting, my dad, he did, he, he just did it right. I think, and really prepared me and my brother to be successful and, and to have that confidence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So with that being said too, kind of, you know, I know that there's a lot of parents that, you know, do listen to this, that have kids. What are, what are some of the things that you hope to teach and share and show your son? Kind of like what you said with your dad uh, in part, what are the things you would like to impart on your son that you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I'm still growing with this. And like I said, I have a one-year-old boy. And so I'm developing and growing as a father as well. And I'm realizing too, that it's, it's not all about what I want to do anymore. And so I, I have this little boy that I want to try to be as good a dad as I can be. And so I look back at what my dad uh, did with me and my brother. And it's like, man, my dad was so selfless. He took me and my brother everywhere if, if we wanted to go fishing, he took us if, and, and he loved to do it too. And so he just spent that time. And, and that's huge with a, with a child is spending time with them and just being there for them. I, I think that's just huge. And so I always want to strive to be there for my boy, Dean and take him hunting and fishing. And I got two step kids too. One's uh, Blake, he's 12 and Callie, she's nine. And especially with everything that's out there nowadays with, you know, electronics and all the bad influences out there, Blake, he's like, Hey, I want to go. Can we, can we go fishing this weekend? And it's like, if I have other things going on, it's like, okay, I'm going to make time that we're going to go fishing because he's into it right now. I want to, I want to just feed that fire and just feed that addiction, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And if he has that interest, I want to do it. I, I just want to be there and and take him and do it because that's what my dad did. So, and and that's, that's something too, that I just want to get better at. And I I just want to try harder with it. And it's made me realize too, that, okay, I I have to kind of adjust a little bit and, and really be there the rest of the year, especially since my falls are so busy. I'm not around a lot. I, I really have to be there for the family the rest of the year and, and just give my time to the family. I love that answer. Um, I love the the prioritization of the yes. answer, right? I, I think that that's that's something that. So, like, I don't have any kids, but I've been married for just over one year now, right? And it's it, it's it's really funny because, like, you when you get married, you like it's so easy to make you know priority for family and these things and whatnot, but then you kind of get comfortable with it you know, and then you start to lose focus of priority. At least I, I did like, it was kind of funny because I kind of did with the podcast recently, you know, where I was so invested in what I was working on and we had a conversation where it was like, Hey, refocus. It's like, okay. So I love the answer, right. Is, is keeping what's most important in front of you. 
Yep. So. Yep. Absolutely. And another thing about me is I hate failing and I, I do not want a spoiled brat kid. I do not want a hellraiser. I don't, I don't want a kid that's, you know, going to be a turd in society when they're older. And, and that's like a huge focus for me. And, and I know for that not to happen, you, you can't ignore your kids. You yeah. ha- you have to just spend the time. It's it's a huge time commitment, but that's that's super important to me. And so that's I just have to keep my focus on it. And it and it's easy for me to do to keep my focus on it because I'm I'm so serious and I want to do the best I can for Dean as he grows up in this twisted world that we live in now. Right. I feel I feel like even nowadays for kids, it's way harder than it was in the 90s when we were growing up. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've it's I don't know. I've seen stuff on the news and social media and you're like, I would not want to be a child right now. Like it would be so confusing. Yes. Yep. hundred percent. And so I think that's just another example of we, as parents, we have to be even more in depth and more tuned in with our kids now than 20 years ago because of all the negative influences and the confusing things that are out there nowadays. Yeah. How, how have you, and this might get personal, but I'm, I'm curious because, you know, at some point I would like to have children in the world. I don't think is getting any less twisted. How do you approach that with your kids or how do you navigate some of like the hairier topics and weird things? Is there like a tack that you've, you've learned to help kind of have those conversations and be a more cohesive family? Um, yeah, I'm lucky too. that my stepkids, they're, they're really good kids. Yeah. And Blake, he, he just doesn't want to disappoint anybody. So he's an easy kid. <laughs> uh, Callie, she's, she's a little more of a rebel and she's still young enough where she hasn't really been inundated with garbage with, you know, media and all that stuff. She's just getting to that age where she's like, Dan, do I look fat? And, and, and so she's getting that, you know, that image issue that girls, every developing girl running, you know, runs into some sort of image issue. It's a part of growing up. Yeah. And so I think just being supportive and, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks you, you should do you be proud of who you are. And, you know, she's all about working out and she likes hiking and all this stuff. And so it it does come easier for but, uh, I mean, does that answer your question? It does. It does. Yeah. It it was a very difficult, super open-ended question. I'm just, you know, curious because, you know, everybody approaches things differently. So it's always fun to kind of see, you know, how everybody handles situations like that, because I feel like that's a very sensitive, you know, potentially hazardous conversation with a, with a kid, right. Is, Hey, we're going to talk about, you know, what you see and what you hear and here's what I think. And let's have this conversation and no, you're not fat, you know, be, be your own freaking person, you know? Yep. Yep. And at, at that age too, you know, talking politics and the kids hear this and that. And, and so we're all on the same page. We talk politics and, you know, the difference between right and wrong and, you know, why, why don't you vote? Democrat. <laughs> I'll just go out and say it. And, and so like, you know, we, we talk about the different issues that, that they can understand. I mean, are we going to bring up abortion? No. And it, it hasn't got there yet. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's fair. Yeah. But there's still, still things that we do talk about. It, it's funny. I, I joke with Blake too. And I don't, I don't joke with him, but I'm like, so uh, how many girlfriends you got? 
there, Blake. And he's in sixth grade this year. And, you know, he gets rad and he's like, none. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, just, just nobody that floats your boat or what? And he's like, oh, I don't know. You know, just typical kid. And you know, Callie, she, she's nine and she's like, oh, I, no, I don't have any boyfriends. Boys are dumb. That's, that's kind of her thing right now. So she really hasn't got to that, you know, the teenage girl yet where she's chasing boys really but i was like good no absolutely that's why it's it's so easy with them because you know blake is he's interested in doing boy things you know the hunting and fishing and that's what i was when i was his age is i i kind of had a spurt you know first through fifth grade i had girlfriends and you're like oh yeah it's chase girls and all that stuff but once sixth grade, junior high and high school, I was all into the hunting and fishing and I didn't even look at girls like that. You didn't have time for it. No, I don't got time for that stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm proud of Blake too. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, this, no sex topics have ever came up and I don't know, you know, as you develop as a kid, that's still virgin territory, no pun intended for, for me talking to kids, but, uh, I'm, I'm sure in the next couple of years it, it might come up, but as of yet, we haven't had to have a discussion. Mom, where do babies come from? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one, that one's uh, probably going to be a little scary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's, that's why I'm like, okay, Eva, my wife's name, Eva. I'm like, yeah, you can talk to Callie about that. When that comes up, I'm, I'm going to leave the room <laughs> and Blake, you know, I'll, I'll handle Blake or whatever, or his, uh, his, discovery channel animal animal planet be like people are the same (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) yeah and i i I think they still have a level of understanding a little bit because you know we had dean and they're nine they were you know eight and ten at the time and like okay mom's pregnant and we're gonna have a baby brother and they're super excited about that and they didn't really ask questions too much or whatever but Anyway. It's not a far, far cry to or, uh, too big of a jump to uh, make a, make a few connections. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. Well, I appreciate you. I feel like I might be out of questions. Is there, I guess, is there anything throughout all of the, all of this, or maybe that you've learned or, or experienced that you're like, man, whether it's getting into Eastman's or developing a skill that, that, you know, people don't think about that, might help them. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny you say that when, uh, I was in college in the summers, I worked for the forest service Okay, and I worked in the Bob Marshall. So we did a lot of, uh, horse stuff. Uh, I was never around horses or mules growing up. So we did a lot of packing, a lot of riding. And so at the time I didn't really think of it, but a lot of that stock experience and learning with that helped me prepare myself for the future hunting with stock and, and as a guide, having that stock experience because horseback was a thing. And so that helped me develop my skill set without me knowing it. And, and boy scouts as well. I was very active in boy scouts growing up. And I mean, heck back then we, we did hundred mile hikes in the Bob Marshall. We did a 50 mile float on the Missouri river. I mean, stuff you don't hear about the boy scouts doing anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. We were a a pretty rough crowd back then. And a lot of that just wilderness survival and how to start a fire out in the woods that prepared me too. just the outdoor lifestyle, just kind of everything that I could possibly get involved with that had to do with the outdoors. I got involved with it. And having all those little skills prepared me to, you know, to be a hunting guide 
to, to have the ability to take care of someone, uh, a client hunting out in the woods, as far as, I mean, are, are we wet? Do we need to build a fire and dry out, uh, stock experience, safety, all that stuff. And which fur- further prepared me for my job here at Eastman's. Cause a lot of my job is out bow hunting out in the woods, whether it's a horse hunt or a backpack hunt, uh, I'm out there all the time. And so the backpacking, the camping, the fire starting, the, the living in the woods is an afterthought for me because I, I started doing it when I was so young with the boy scouts and then in the forest service. So I just did so much of it, of it as a kid that that just accelerated my living out and being a guide and, and being able to stay extended amounts of time out in the woods hunting and still stay healthy and still stay hydrated and have enough caloric intake to keep me going. Because as you know, if, if you get out hunting, you're hunting elk. So you have to hike up in somewhere. If you totally burn yourself out, gas out and blow your legs out and you don't bring enough food. I mean, your hunts over, or if you get dehydrated, you don't have a water source. I mean, your hunts over. I mean, if, if, if you're not feeling good or if you don't have energy, if, or if you, you don't have your, the essentials planned out, I mean, you can't effectively hunt and let alone harvest an animal and be successful. And so a lot of that stuff I took for granted, but just being in the boy Scouts and working for the forest service kind of involuntarily got me ready and got me that experience that I needed for my job today. Yeah. So you made me think of two different things. So one, um, as, as somebody, so you grew up doing all of these things, right? Let's say yeah. there's somebody that, you know, maybe hasn't done these things or is looking to develop those skills. Obviously yep. we've talked about YouTube, right? What other resources are you aware of that guys and gals can go like experience and learn how to, how to live outdoors more or less, right. And be successful, safe and, you know, have fun doing it. Yep. Yep. There's a, there's a lot of content out there that, uh, can provide you with that stuff, whether you're on the internet or I, I like the guys at field craft survival. I know you're wearing the t-shirt, but they, they have a lot of great stuff, uh, that they put out there with survival and you name it, they talk about it and, and they do it. And so the resources out there for, for guys that didn't grow up in the outdoors, you can find it and, and get active, just get out there and you got to do it. Find, find ways to make it happen. Uh, you know, they have Western hunting classes that guys come out and they do, you know, hiking and glassing and all this stuff to basically teach guys that maybe didn't grow up with that lifestyle to, to give them all those skill sets and just get them that hands-on experience. Because I, I would say that's the number one thing is that hands-on experience. Uh, yeah. that, that's how you learn. And as many seminars as I give uh, telling people on how to hunt elk or in, in trying to, you know, teach classes, nothing beats hands-on experience. You need time out there hunting days, chasing elk and understanding what they do, learning their movements and learning how to glass and where to glass. You just need the hands-on experience, plain and simple. Yep. Yep. Fair. My next question is what has been the one skill that you've learned that has saved your bacon the most? Yeah. Uh, I would say, I mean, we're getting pretty extreme here. When, <laughs> when I was a kid, I shot a grizzly bear in the chicken coop. We grew up out in, 
in the woods. And so I was like a, a freshman in high school. And like I said, I mean, I was a wild kid and nothing. I was, wasn't really scared of anything, but I shot a grizzly bear in the chicken coop with a 20 gauge slug gun in the dark. Go ahead and Google it. It was in 2002. It's pretty funny. I looked, I was a little squirt back then. And so it, go Google Daniel Picard grizzly bear and you can see all about it. Okay. I will. But, but just probably that skill set that really made me think like, okay, I could have just as easily been dead. And so it made me think, what do I really need to do to prepare myself in grizzly country? Because you can think about it and buy pistols and shotguns and bear spray and be like, oh yeah, I, I got the tools. I'm good. But you're not really good. I mean, you, you got to think of, can, can I perform under pressure? Can I, I mean, how long does a bear attack take? It takes two seconds. And so in reality, if, if you want a chance at a grizzly bear, if, if you, especially if you're in grizz country, just to get your gun out of the holster, that takes two seconds. Yeah. And so it gave me that perspective on, okay, what do I really need to do to be prepared? And so fine tuning my skills and, and practicing, I have a YouTube video up of, you know, could you survive a bear attack? And we shoot at rolling tires. So I roll these tires down the hill and, you know, can you hit a rolling tire? It's like, holy smokes, I couldn't, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And this all kind of was spurred, uh, a few years ago, I was black bear hunting and I, I didn't hit this bear lethally. I went back the next day and he charged me and I shot him point blank in the forehead with a pistol and, and killed him. And the only reason I was, I able, I was able to pull that off is because I mentally prepared myself. Yeah. I, 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 because of the experience before, but if, okay, say you haven't been charged by a bear before you can still prepare yourself for those scenarios mentally. Yeah. Because you're always thinking about like, okay, how, how fast can I get to my gun? Where's my bear spray? Okay. Say I'm up somewhere. I have a pistol and bear spray, but I got a 25 mile an hour wind. Am, am I going to effectively be able to use this bear spray? Probably not. And so anytime I run across bear tracks or I'm in the timber, I'm in terrain that I can't really see within 50 yards, my pistol comes out. There's one in the tube, my fingers off the trigger. So all I have to do is pull up my gun and shoot the bear because hmm. just to get the holster or your pistol out of your holster I mean, if you have a chest holster, that's great. That's what you need is a chest holster or something, some sort of rigging that's very efficient because just getting your holster out, I mean, you could be bait, bear bait by the time you just get your, yeah, your pistol out. So thinking about those things and, and really trying to prepare myself, I, I would say that's the big one. And, and then testing my ability abilities on, you know, shooting those tires. Yeah. Right? And so that really just showed me how unprepared I was. Yeah. And so I was just like, okay, I, I really need to take my preparedness for a charging bear to the next level. Interesting. That's a good way to think about it. Cause I'm hearing, I'm hearing one mental preparedness for yep. sure, but then also pressure testing. Yep. Yep. Because anybody can go to the range. It's just like with anything I can go to the, the range and shoot a hundred yards with my bow and, and shoot a six inch group at a hundred. But in a hunting situation, cut that in half. 
Yeah, so, right. Well, because your heart's racing, you're excited, yes. you're shaking, wind, all the other things. Absolutely. So, and and the same thing goes with pistol shooting. Yeah, you you can take your time and you can shoot a good group at twenty yards with a good pistol, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm good. But let me tell you, you're you're not really good because when you're rushed, your heart's beating, and you have to like hurry and shoot guess what? You're shooting to the right four feet. You're hitting the ground in front. I mean, <laughs> you, you got to really be focused a hundred percent. And I would say the one thing that I learned with this black bear charge, I snuck in on him and he was 25 yards and I shot him with my bow and I just dropped my bow and I pulled my pistol out immediately. I hit him good with my bow, but he turned up and he spun around and he looked right at me and he, he hardly hesitated. Here he come. He was coming on a dead run and I shot twice pretty quick and I didn't hit the broadside of a barn at 20 yards. Yeah. And this is a bear that's like coming directly at me. So there's, I mean, it's, it's not that hard of a target. Technically he's not running left to right. So you're not, <laughs> you know, it's not that hard. I didn't, I didn't hit the broadside of a barn and I knew it at the time. I knew it in the back of my mind. I was like, if I'm going to actually put a stop to this bear, I got to wait for that glory zone, that five to 10 feet away where I can really sight his head and make one shot count. You have one shot because if you have the mentality that you're just going to, you know, pray and spray, you're dead meat. Yeah. You're out of bullets. You have to make every bullet count. And, and it's like, like I said, I was lucky and it panned out for me and I waited, I sighted that bear's forehead as he came down and I pointed. And as he got to about 10 feet, I look down the barrel of my pistol and it, you know, it comes naturally. As long as you practice, you have that muscle memory to look down your sights and boom, right, right in the forehead. And, but you got one chance. And so that, that was another one. I was like, what am I even doing out here? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm so lucky number one, but you really have like one chance on a charging bear to make it count. And I, I don't know if you, if you're off, if, what if I would was off three inches and I didn't hit his brain? Right. Like he probably would have got me. Yeah. Does that like bother you at all? Like it, like, it does. It does. You, you're, we're helpless out there. Yeah. You really are. I don't care how prepared you are. And there's guys that are getting chomped every year by Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's like, I, you feel kind of helpless. So, I mean, I sleep, if I'm in Grizz country, I've, I've got a sawed off shotgun with buckshot. I sleep with that gun at night because uh, you're sitting there in your sleep bag or in your tent. And I've heard plenty of stories where these bears come and grab people out of tents. It happens. It happens. And so, yeah, you can prepare all you want and have a bear charge or two under your belt, but still I'm, I'm super nervous out there. I'm I'm still not like, and, and I think that's the thing. If you get too cocky and think that you're good, that's when you're in trouble. Yeah. I was gonna say, that's probably a healthy thing to be like a little sketched out by, right. Is now you're a little, almost almost hyper vigilant, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And and that's how you have to be with everything when it comes to hunting, because just when you think you're like, Oh, I got this figured out or, you know, this is easy. Then you're going to get humbled or you're not going to improve. You'll get humbled. And so you always got to have the mindset that like, there's always room for improvement. I always have to be on my toes. And I think that's the mindset you have to have if you want to stay alive out there and and, you know, not have to call a helicopter or, you know, SOS on your inReach. Do you always have to be on your toes? Yeah. Yeah. And you, do you take an inReach with you all the time? Yes. If I'm out of cell service, 
uh, I'm in, in reach. Uh, I have my in reach. So, you know, most, most Ridge lines out West, you got a, a bar of 4g probably, mm-hmm. but anytime I go down in the in a drainage, you know, most of the time you don't have signal. So yeah. I always have an in reach. Yeah. I, my wife made me get one last, last year, I think, because, um, I'd like to go like camping and hiking and all sorts of stuff by myself. And she was like, you need to get one if you're going to be out there by yourself, something that I can get a hold of you with your SOS button. And I've only ever had one, not really an issue, but like I was in a dead zone. Like it was this last, this last October we were down and where we were camping. Absolutely. Like couldn't, I think I could get a message out, but I couldn't get a message in. And that was the only time where I was like, okay, these things legitimately have a limitation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. They're not a hundred percent either. And that's why like I stress, I, I always stress to have a buddy when you go hunting and, and with me, I always have somebody running the camera. So I always have somebody, but that's huge. The buddy system, they teach that in boy scouts when we were kids. And so I, I, I try not to go by myself and anymore with camera stuff. I, it's rare that I ever go hunting by, you know, solo anymore, but yeah, you gotta be careful out there if you're solo. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think I've, I don't know if I'll ever go hunting solo. I mean, I, I like, I like the concept of it because then it's like, you do whatever you want, but I also don't like, I get, I get nervous out in the woods by myself, you know, yep. especially at night I get creeped out. Yeah. And I, I, I think everybody does. That's normal yeah. for sure. I, I do. I'm in grizz country. It's dark out. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. I love listening to scary books too. Oh yeah. <laughs> so like that doesn't help, you know, <laughs> right. like, try not to think of every scary book and scary movie that I've ever watched, you know? Yep. But. Exactly. I, I have to really work at not thinking about bear charges from the past because it, that could get to you if, yeah. if you let it and you're in bear country again and if you know, freak yourself out. But once again, feeling like I'm prepared, but you're always nervous and you're always taking the precautions with hanging your food and keeping, you know, meat away from camp and and doing all that stuff. I mean, you can do all that. I think most of the time it works and I I haven't had any grizzly bear issues in the last several years, knock on wood, but I'm, I'm I definitely take those precautions. Yeah. Yeah. That's very wise. So, yeah. Well, Dan, I appreciate you taking the time, dude. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, this is an original podcast. This is unique. Yes. I, I haven't had a conversation like this. Usually it's, you know, wh- where are you hunting? Where, where, tell me a tip on hunting on this. And so, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this, man. This is a great podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you. Dan, once again, man, thank you for taking the time. I had a great time getting to know you, chatting a little bit more, uh, picking your brain and uh, getting some good life lessons out of you as well as uh, some tips and tricks on parenting. I hope everybody, I hope you all took something away from this as well. Um, I will link Dan's uh, Instagram in the episode description as well as uh, Eastman's Beyond the Grid where you can catch him uh, out hunting and doing some fun stuff. But otherwise, I hope you all have a wonderful day and we'll catch you next time. (laughs) 